in about every eight to ten weeks in crypto something crazy happens where you have to drop everything you're doing to kind of learn about it and i think every eight to ten weeks those things redefine the kind of direction of travel that i'm thinking about welcome to another edition of the columbia university sports podcast the cusp show where we talk about the business of sports media innovation disruption technology finance all different kinds of things I'm Joe Favorito. I'm flying solo this week for my co-host, Tom Richardson. We are here the week before Thanksgiving 2022, um, in the States anyway. But we're going to go abroad and talk about a topic that I'm sure no one is talking about right now, which is the con- you know, the convergence of crypto sports media and where it's going on this Friday. And depending on when you listen to this, things may have evolved even more. Well, they will have, but... Hopefully we'll keep it general and informational enough. So Pet Barisha, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thanks so much for having me. So, so Pet, tell a little bit about um, Sporting Crypto, the newsletter you do, how you got there, and a little bit about your background before we get into the kind of the weeds on all the stuff that's going on right now. Sure thing. So Sporting Crypto, very simply put, it's a weekly newsletter covering the intersection between Web3 and sports. I started it just over 12 months ago because I was having super weird but interesting conversations with people in the sports industry and people in the crypto industry about sports related stuff and how Web3 could impact sports. And it was all getting a bit kind of overwhelming. And I thought, let me write some of this down. And it ended up becoming a newsletter. I coincidentally chose Substack, uh, coincidentally posted that first post, and it kind of snowballed ever since. So we're at about 2,100 subscribers now, read by you know some of the biggest rights holders in the world, um, basically all the big soccer federations, all the big sports federations in the US, uh, some of the biggest soccer clubs in the world, um, some of the biggest sports media companies in the world, and then some of the biggest you know fantasy and, and betting sites as well, as well as you know some of the biggest traditional tech companies as well. And, and the amazing thing is, it's being read by not just kind of lower to mid-level employees it's being led by some of the the kind of decision makers which is which is pretty awesome and amazing people like yourself joe which is yeah. which is great uh and then how i got there my background is in production so i used to produce a podcast called blockchain insider for a company called 11fs so that was as it says on the name, uh, a podcast about kind of blockchain and crypto, we would uh, interview people and have different perspectives on kind of how crypto would impact financial services between kind of 2017 and 2020. So saw Bitcoin go from $1,000 to $20,000, then back down to $3,000 within the space of 12 months. We saw Bitcoin fork to also have Bitcoin cash. We saw, you know, Ripple getting sued by um, by various entities and so on and so forth. So it was a really wild ride. We'd record on a Tuesday, publish on a Thursday, super tight turnaround, and sometimes something so crazy would happen on a Wednesday. We'd have to re-record. So it was it was a, it was a wild time. But that was kind of my initiation into this world. Um, and I'd also done some uh, kind of uh, football podcasting on the side with some friends actually in the in the states in that kind of meantime uh which was cool and uh during my time at 11fs this consultancy also worked on a bunch of their youtube 
videos, live stream setups. I set up two live stream shows. Uh, I also started something called the football, the FinTech Football League, which was like a six-a-side soccer league for FinTech companies in, in London. We played every Friday. We made loads of like spoof videos of like the league launching and like teams having rivalries between each other. A lot of that content went quite viral within the FinTech community, which is quite funny. And it ended up so that MasterCard and Google Cloud both ended up sponsoring uh, wow. the, the 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 league, which was yeah, absolutely bizarre. It's a, it's a weird story. It's definitely one for another podcast. But that was kind of my first experience of commercial sports. And then when I left there, I did a bunch of kind of like freelance production, uh, mainly producing podcasts in the kind of FS space uh, and some consultancy stuff as well. And then um, two or three things happened. I was commissioned to do a couple of audio documentaries. One called The History and Future of NFTs at the beginning of 2021, and also wow. another called um, How to Make It in Crypto media uh which is quite cool so both were funded by DAOs, which i'm sure we'll sort of talk about throughout this mm -hmm. uh show uh, and then i also had a 12-month contract with copper 90 who are a big um soccer mm -hmm. media company worldwide helping them <laughs> client side or uh, their clients wanted to know like what do we do with this crypto thing and i was the person to tell them i guess what to do what not to do to some extent and at that same kind of time mid 2021 i started thinking about the newsletter and then in september launched it and then fast forward to now um newsletter's doing well i also do a bunch of consulting and advisory work within the kind of sports and, and web3 sphere have worked with um a bunch of big names and uh yeah enjoying it so just to clarify are you a media guy who learned about crypto or are you a finance guy who learned about media i'm a media guy that learned about crypto wow. but i was always fairly interested about uh you know economics finance etc done a bunch of internships at you know, market made it, makers and trade floors when I was much younger. But then I, I kind of fell out of love or not love. I don't think anyone loves that world. Uh, mm. I got a bit disenfranchised with that world um, and did a degree at university that was actually an engineering degree, uh, product design engineering. Um, hated that a lot. Like my brain just did not work in the technical way that an engineer does. Mm. And yeah, just was always a massive sports fanatic. So I always had like sports and then this kind of burgeoning uh, career path in media and then a kind of interest in crypto. And then I think when crypto crossed this chasm between like finance and culture in like 2019, 20, with I think predominantly NFTs, that's where I started enjoying the world more of, of crypto. And that's when I guess those three places became, I guess, all hobbies, but a career at the same time, which is both great and sad because uh it's fun like i get to have fun when i'm doing my day-to-day uh, -day work but it's also sad because it's taken up all my hobbies right yeah get it so so you being uh someone who does a very popular and growing newsletter my guess is you get to, especially in this volatile space you get either first look or you get a lot of kind of the let's call it the craziness coming to you first um so let's start with the newsletter how how do you sniff out, and the newsletter, for those who haven't seen it yet, is really a best practices and a compilation of things going on, um, but it, it's curated in a way that shows that it's got a lot of credibility, but it's also not wasting people's time when they want to read things, which is the best part of newsletters. So so how do you sniff out in a very volatile world today between crypto, crypto NFTs, Bitcoin, blockchain, um, investment going on? 
what are the good stories and what are kind of the the crap things that people are just grabbing for buzz uh the the bullshit detector um mm-hmm. i once uh i quote a cmo of a big uh, uk company that i spoke to once and said i just want to hire you to be my bullshit detector um mm. which i think is is something that a lot of brands should try and fi- find to be honest with you a lot of trial and error a lot of like seen this before don't know if it's going to work i guess also you you start to build your own thesis around where you think the direction of travel is and anything that isn't parallel to that direction of travel don't really think is great but sometimes when it is it's clear that 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 kind of thought that i had was wrong and this is kind of uh moving that direction of travel towards that kind of new thing right so i think there's a there's a lot of um it's difficult because there are a lot of people in sport who have been looking at this space with a lot of interest but potentially not enough expertise to create something that is formidable enough that consumers could actually want and demand. Um, so that's a big issue. Like I think there's a few surveys that have gone around that like between 10 and 30% of uh, sports brands have little to zero expertise in the space. And I could hazard a guess that more than 10 to 30% of sports brands worldwide have done something in Web3. So that off the bat is kind of a worry. I think it's quite easy. Um, I think a lot of sports brands have probably tried to copy and paste too much what they've seen from the kind of Web3 native side of things. And as soon as I see that, I I know it's not going to work amazingly. I kind of have this, um, I, I, I like to frame it in two ways that in about, Every eight to 10 weeks in crypto, something crazy happens where you have to drop everything you're doing to kind of learn about it. So you can either write about it, speak to it about clients, et cetera, et cetera. And I think every eight to 10 weeks, those things redefine the kind of direction of travel that I'm thinking about, which is really interesting. It's a space that redefines itself so often um, but still, it's fairly easy to see what thing, the things that are like fairly serious or not, or like fairly interesting, but experimental and might not have mass audience are. Um, and it's very, I think it's easiest to tell when things are not going to go well, to be honest with you. Okay, let's start with the glass half full. Um, the things that you've seen, if you had to pick a few, and we can go everywhere from properties to platforms to media, uh, to even mediums, I guess. What are the ones that you've seen have a stickiness that when we look back, I hate to say five years, a year from now, <laughs> will be more a little bit more mainstream, not just in the US, but globally? And then what are the one or two that you're saying like, uh oh, in trouble? So I think the um some of the ones that I'm gonna mention are probably already slightly mainstream. So what started this snowball effect is NBA Top Shot. Um, I was around in 2018 when um, Dapper Labs launched uh, CryptoKitties and it broke the Ethereum blockchain and they went and built their own blockchain because they realized that Ethereum wasn't going to scale fast enough to kind of take the demand that they were going to create. So they went and created Flow, they then launched Topshot alongside the NBA and when that platform was in beta, you had like tens of thousands of people in digital queues waiting to get onto the top shot kind of like taylor swift tickets yeah so. yeah ex- exactly but um you know with a with a probably slightly better tech engine than Ticketmaster. Mm. um <laughs> but 
that to me was amazing. I was like, wow, this can't just be people in crypto trying to buy these NFTs. It's got to be NBA fans. And lo and behold, that was the that was the moment, the watershed moment in hindsight for NFTs that kind of uh, that and Nifty Gateway, who are, who are a platform who aren't as big now, but were very big in 2019, that were the kind of mainstreaming moments for NFTs, one for kind of this sport type collectible thing and the other for art. And with Topshot, it was something fairly familiar to collectors, right? It was basically Panini stickers, but a video and digital. And you can own it, you can export it, you can hold it in your own wallet, you can go and showcase it in your own digital gallery and so on and so forth. And it took off and it's done really, really well. And comparatively, the volumes aren't as strong now, but in isolation, they're still pretty good. Like I'm right. sure the NBA and Dapper are still looking at the the volumes. I don't have them to hand. I've done a bunch of decks with uh, for, for consultancy work where I've kind of referenced like, yeah, they were crazy. But if you look at the kind of volumes that are they're still there now in isolation, they're still pretty strong. So I think Top Shot has been pretty amazing. It's clearly product market fit. Like people wanted these things. They went and bought these things. They started trading these things. People were showcasing these things on social media. It just completely encapsulated what was so good about potentially using this new technology or harnessing this new technology to create something that users actually wanted, not trying to push something onto users that they don't want. So I, I always reference that as a great example because I think it's simple. And actually, if we look at the kind of two or three years since, I think a lot of brands and a lot of actually NFT collections themselves have tried to go more and more complex, which has dwarfed their audience the more complex they become because they're getting into a more and more and more niche. And actually, the most recent example outside of sport that I think is amazing and everyone working for any brand, if you're like a product innovation tech or marketing person should be looking at is what Reddit have done with Reddit avatars. And I think that is a, again a, another one of those things that i mentioned that uh every eight to ten weeks something happens you have to drop everything go learn about it reddit avatars was one of them so for those of you who don't know reddit have a premium service um and you pay i think it's 13 dollars a month where you get a bunch of premium features and in 2020 they allowed people to customize their profiles with avatars and some of these avatars were customizable with premium kind of ca characteristics through the premium service, which was really interesting in itself that people wanted to like, you know, customize their profiles to, to this extent. And then in uh, 2021, they started uh, selling some one-of-one one NFTs, which probably signaled to a lot of people that uh, Reddit was going was gonna to eventually go down this path. I mean, Alexis Ohanian, their co-founder, has been a, a, a valiant investor in the Web3 space, so probably no shocks to anyone. Um, and then very recently, in summer 2022, they made the switch from having these avatars be just kind of pictures that people... Uh, paid for with their premium service to actual NFTs. And this was like a crazy watershed moment in the sense that, wow, you're just doing what you would do with a normal profile on Reddit, but actually the icons you're using to customize your profile are now tradable, which yeah. is kind of like a, a complete game changer. And Reddit did this in a way that was super, super simple. They had a custodial wallet that meant that you didn't need like a, a fancy non-custodial crypto wallet to go onto the platform, blah, blah, blah. You basically create something called a Reddit vault. They didn't even use the word NFT throughout the communication at all. And 3 million people opened a Reddit vault. Wow. Right. And if I put that in comparison to 
Reddit's 45 million monthly active users. That's a pretty crazy, like if you're talking like freemium being two to 5% conversion, that is a monstrous conversion for people creating wallets, trying to buy these things, trying to trade these things because they simply wanted to. Like this is again, another example of product market fit using uh, uh, this technology rather than creating something completely cash grabby that no one wants. So those are two really great examples. I think if we're going super high level that I really like, um, I've seen some, you know, really other amazing stuff like, um, well, I, I, I wouldn't say amazing, but really interesting. Um, a hundred thieves, the esports team launched a free nft when they won the 2021 uh some sort of 2021 um gaming championship i completely forgot what game it was but their ceo gave the kind of team that won the championship these uh chains and they were like these fancy you know diamond chains blah blah blah. and what 100 thieves did they launched a nft equivalent of this chain as an nft on polygon and they made it open edition free they even covered the um they covered the transaction fee and almost 800,000 people claimed one of these things and 800,000 might not sound like a lot to people working in traditional marketing or, or media and so on and so forth but if you consider that there are like two to three million active wallets when it comes to nfts uh currently on OpenSea, that's a pretty large number and i know people who opened a metamask wallet to mint one of these things for the first time ever and it was a resounding success they called it winning with your fans and i think that kind of commemorative element was really really interesting as well no strings attached you're not promising anything else you're not promising any utility you're just creating something as a symbol to celebrate with your fans and i thought it was really really nice so i think three good examples there one which is kind of the 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 early example of product market fit two being the more recent one uh, probably the best example I've seen from a big Web2 brand, and three, something a bit more light touch and, and commemorative. Cool. Um, here on the Friday, November 19th, <clears throat> middle of the afternoon on the East Coast, if you if someone comes down from Mars and lands on it, the planet and happens to speak English, and they somehow get you the question, explain to me in a very simple term what Web 3.0 means for sports. What do you say? Very difficult question. I, I think that uh, in one answer, one line, that's probably impossible. I like okay. to contextualize it in the sense that, you know, we've gone from this um, idea of like web one being this information layer online that people can share. Um, web two being this information layer that is informed by the users also. So you and I creating content, putting it out online and people listening to it. That's kind of the next iteration of the web. Web three being those two things but also the ability to own stuff online i think that's the key uh game changer here i think that considering we've only had the consumer web for 30 years a bit more than i've been alive i think it's weird to own stuff online but i'd question whether it's going to be weird in 30 years I, right. i'd hazard that the answer is no so my kind of thing is like a web three is a new layer of the internet that has decentralization at the core and the spine of it, but not in entirety where users can actually own stuff online and also port their, the things that they own between systems. So the systems are built, built around the user rather than the user 
um, being plugged into a, say, Google, Facebook, etc., and then using those things to log into a variety of other things. And that centralized silo, aka Google, Facebook, could potentially uh, just ban your account for no reason, and then you lose access to those 10 or 15 other things. And I'll bring this back to sport. I think sport has always lagged massively when it comes to technology. I mean, sure. you know, I consult with some teams, and one of them in the US said that they... <laughs> had seen a massive flip to digitally native tickets because of the pandemic, not necessarily because they wanted to go to that direction, but because of the pandemic. And I think because sports teams quite, and this is a generalization across the board because I'm not an expert in every sport, generally most of the money goes to on the court or on the pitch to try and improve player performance and make the team do better. Um, and that makes resource quite scarce on the operational and, and front end side of things, meaning that the lag is 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 normal. And so I think only now uh, a lot of sports teams are catching up technologically, like at a base level. I think what Web three has the opportunity to do is engage fans in a much more tangible way than kind of simple social media and content, which is great, by the way. I consume a ton of sports-related content on social media, YouTube, podcasts, etc. But I think the ability to, you know, own digital merchandise, the ability to um, prove that I've been to games with a with a token that's immutable, that kind of stuff is going to be really interesting in the future. I don't think I'm on this podcast to say like I've got all the answers um, in terms of where it can go. But I think the direction of travel is is fairly clear. Like the um nfl sold 50 million dollars worth of fortnite skins in collaboration with fortnite um you know we're seeing uh we're seeing more and more cases of like digitally native um streetwear and fashion being created in in collaboration with sports brands i i think the direction of travel is pretty clear like roblox has 60 million monthly active users i think virtual worlds um you know digital ownership property uh virtual goods that market is exploding like a billion a hundred billion dollars is spent a year on in-game items the direction of travel seems really clear to me i think this technology is going to have a big part in 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 how that uh direction is formed so just touching on the um the virtual worlds for a second there was a thing called farmville which came and went as as a fad why is why are virtual worlds especially tied in your opinion tied to the experience of either a live game or a community around sport be it a premier league club or the nba or the nfl why is it different now i think the first answer to that is because they're much better <laughs> so Brilliant. like uh the first answer to that is you know a game like uh fortnite for example is a lot stickier has a lot a, multi, a lot more multitudes of playing the game than the likes of Farmville. I think also Farmville was a social game first and a game second, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the way I think about it is virtual worlds, there are kind of like, you've got this these decentralized ones like Decentraland Sandbox, which I think are, are really interesting experiments and are, are doing really great things. I think maybe they're slightly ahead of their time. I think you've then got kind of virtual worlds that are created by... 
brands and entities themselves, like a, a La Liga World that launched 11 or 12 days ago. Um, that's quite interesting. And then you've got these centralized platforms or um, virtual worlds like Roblox, or, you know, we could even call Fortnite one as a game. I just think that the direction, if we talk about the direction of travel again, more and more people are spending more and more time on their phones. Um, we are now digitally native people. We spend more than half our time online. Like instead of you being in London or me being in the States, we're doing this over the internet, which 15 years ago was impossible. Um, and if we talk about kind of like the younger generation and how they learn, consume uh, content and how they connect with others, it's all done online and primarily through gaming. So I was with an eight-year-old cousin the other day at a family gathering, and he was just on Roblox the whole time on his on his mum's iPad. Um, I think, like, uh, there's that funny, there's that funny newspaper article, not newspaper article, that headline where it's like, one-year-old thinks newspaper is broken iPad. And again, it's, you Ooh. don't have to be a genius to work out, like, where this, this is going. It's, it just kind of feels inevitable to me. Um, teams that have done uh, engagement with Web 3.0 well so far in this early stage. Um, can you name a couple of best practices that you're really interested in and why? Did you say teams? Teams. Teams. Honestly, far and f uh, few and far between. I think yep. best practices is don't just copy and paste something that you see that's done well in the NFT sphere. Um, don't have the arrogance to think that you're going to sell a lot like you do in your own kind of realm. Um, mm. You know, Liverpool and a, a Liverpool Football Club tried to sell 171,000 NFTs, ended up selling 9,000 something in isolation. That's fine. But the kind of perception was that that was a massive failure because of the, the, the amount they tried to sell. And then I also think you get into issues like not having the allocated resource you expected to then go and do the things you promised, which I think is a bit of a pickle. I think there are some interesting, t like I know the Utah Jazz have done some interesting things about like virtual locker rooms, allowing mm -hmm. people into press. Uh, I'd kind of question whether NFTs need to be involved into that. So maybe they're not the best examples of like, this is how I would do it as a team. I think teams in terms of direct to consumer probably have not that many plays uh, or not that many things in their arsenal they can do to to make it a resounding success. That's why the the biggest success you've seen is with things like so rare and Top Shot, where you're taking an entire league or, or team's IP and putting it into an existing platform that already has consumers. Now, where I think things might become quite interesting, and again we're moving away from sport here, is Starbucks are going to do something very interesting with their loyalty point system by putting it on chain and tokenizing it and they're doing that with polygon one of the league two uh, that one of the layer two ethereum chains um reddit again going back to them as, as kind of market leaders from a web 2 perspective they're putting their karma point system again on chain and now what that means and what that can do for these brands kind of remains to be seen a lot of it's quite speculative at the moment, but I do think there's some very interesting 
open source types of things that you could do whereby if you're a starbucks token holder loyalty token holder not only do you get discounts on starbucks but maybe someone else can permissionlessly give you to uh permissionlessly give you uh discounts on something else that is completely not to do with starbucks um and, and i also think like being able to port those things into a different world as as some sort of currency in like uh, virtual world activation is also quite interesting so there are a lot of uh, opportunities i think on the kind of loyalty point side of things or the loyalty system side of things and now again maybe to play devil's advocate to myself a lot of these teams are already far behind with some of their digitally native like point systems already right so whether or not they make the jump straight into web3 without even sorting out their kind of straight up digital strategies maybe remains to be seen but i i think the kind of free engagement stuff is the 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 area that these teams should be playing in rather than we've got this ip let's treat this as a we're selling ip to someone and hoping they make money off this or selling it as a sponsorship package i think the commercially driven stuff isn't going to work as well the stuff that works that will work better is when these teams start framing this as they did maybe social media five to ten years ago where they say wow this is a big audience loads of people are interested in this thing if we spend money creating content advertising and so on and so forth we might be able to indirectly derive a, a bunch of value in a, in a plethora of other ways very interesting that you say that um speaking of making money or losing money um as i said we're here in the middle of november um no one listening to this will be unfamiliar with what's happened with FTX or with other exchanges in the crypto space. Your take on the space from a sponsorship standpoint or from an engagement standpoint in general, not just you know the millions of dollars that people may have potentially lost, but um, the mistakes or the, the, the le learnings coming out of what's happened with FTX or with other platforms with regard to sports sponsorship and engagement. Yeah, I mean, look, generally speaking, I think we're probably quite aligned that sports teams will take a check from almost anyone. Correct. Um, Especially in a new category. Yeah, so. which, which I don't think is a good thing, right? Mm. I will say that I have a bit of sympathy with this specific one because at the end of the day, uh, SBF, the, the CEO or former CEO of FTX, was in Congress. He was on the cover of Forbes. There was a heightened level of legitimacy that the media and the government gave to this person. This was, you know, one of the biggest donors to both US parties over the last like 12 to 18 months. On top of that, um, if you also look at FTX's volumes, they were making like $3 million a day in trading fees, right? And now for them to sign a $125 million over 19-year deal with Miami Heat, maybe seems like a lot of money, but when you're saying that's 10% of your yearly trading fees and you're paying 19 years across 19 years, it's a, it's a snip in the ocean, right? Figur figuratively speaking, right? The third thing I think is, um, I think when you, when you look at the way uh, FTX was positioned more broadly, in terms of how much like pressure they were putting on other exchanges to become uh, to, to be good actors in this space is also another interesting thing to think about in terms of yeah again how much pressure was put on Congress SBF and Gary Gessner were 
were kind of talking about what litigation and what regulation should be, uh, how it should look for crypto assets, which again is, is super ironic. But I think the other thing is like the amount of credible venture capitalist firms that have had invested in FTX and the likes of BlackRock, right? A lot of people have been harsh on a lot of these VC firms, and I think maybe sometimes rightly, rightly so, but BlackRock don't mess about. They don't do zero due diligence. We're talking about a multi, 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 multi-billion dollar financial services entity. They are highly regulated. They have got lawyers up to their eyeballs. They do not just write checks, right? And so my, again, this is speculation, but also based on slight fact from what I've read, they were cooking books, right? FTX were faking their accounts through. I've heard, I've heard it called Madoff, like in the last couple of days, very similar to the Bernie Madoff scam. Yeah, I, I think uh, similar but different in in a, in a in a fair different amount of ways. I think the the level of fraud is similar. I think the manner of fraud is is probably quite different mm-hmm. because theoretically speaking, if FTX didn't touch their customer funds this was a business that would operate completely fine. The issue they had was their trading desk, Alameda Capital, um, were burning through money and they were collateralizing assets that were going to be highly volatile slash have very little value, meaning that when they got margin called on that collateral, they, they couldn't pay it back, meaning they had to use more and more customer funds to, to kind of fill that black hole. Um, so I'd, I, you know, I'd say some of the, the kind of pyramid scheme Madoff type stuff is probably a lot more this is thin air we're selling thin air whereas this was we actually have an exchange that is facilitating trades we are showing we're trying to show people that we're very good whereas behind the scenes it's a complete crapshoot um whilst also trying to plug the balance hole the 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 balance sheet of our sister company that is trading and market making on our exchange Again, all very crazy complex. I think there are some nuances there. But yeah, the level of fraud outright is, is completely comparable. Actually, potentially even even bigger if you consider the amount of kind of uh, governmental do- uh, donations to parties and kind of how mm-hmm. Sam uh, Bankman-Fried was seen as the adult in the room when it came to crypto by a lot of um, people in government. So yeah, massive, massive issue there. And I think it will definitely harm the industry. I think we'll set it back, especially from a legislative perspective. Like, I'd be very curious to see what regulators do um, over the next couple of years. It's very difficult to regulate something that's 24-7 global, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and actually, their focus has been on the likes of Coinbase and the likes of Kim Kardashian when closer to home things were, were being uh, done in a, in a lot more uh, fraudulent way. So uh, one more question about that space. You mentioned Coinbase, Crypto.com, other companies that have invested heavily in sport around the world. If you are advising a team, a league, an athlete, Tom Brady, for example, now being potentially sued, although I don't think there's a lot that is going to be done there with the FTX. I mean, um, listen, if they can't sell, I'm again, I have no legal background, but if they can't sue VCs, then I don't know. (laughs) Um, but so what are you advising people buy, hold or sell right now for in terms of if you have a sponsorship sitting on the table waiting to come in? I think it depends completely who it is, right? I think if you look at someone like Coinbase, 
they could go insolvent, but that would be through like actual business operations, not through anything dodgy. Um, they're a publicly listed company. They have to be, <laughs> I mean, there's not that much you can do in terms of creative accounting when you're regulated in the States and you have to submit your accounts to the States. I, I personally think that there will still be sponsorships uh, crossing these two spheres. I would err on the side of caution short-term for sure. Um, but at the same time, I, I do think, again, going back to the sympathy point I have for sports sponsorship teams uh, getting into bed with FTX, it's not insurmountable to think that, and again, I'm not saying them, but just an example, Crypto.com, they also have their own token, but they could be completely legitimate, get in trouble, do something, make one wrong move and it snowballs and suddenly you go from being a legitimate exchange that does billions of dollars of uh, volume a day to um, you know having, having a bank run on your own exchange. So it, it's difficult. Things can, can happen very quickly in this space. I think if I was advising, I'd say proceed with caution and try and work with the most legitimate players. So um, I think the NBA's worked with uh, Coinbase. They've worked with Dapper Labs. Both of those entities are heavily capitalized. They're both, well, Coinbase is certainly very regulated. In Dapper's perspective, they have a great track record from a technological perspective of creating a lot of valuable propositions. So, yeah, I'd go for the, the bigger entities that are here to stay. I think one of the other things is like blockchains themselves. I know we've seen Algorand partner mm -hmm. with fifa and tezos partner with um man united some of those uh chains might have very big reserves that will make sure that they're here for at least the next three to four years some of those may be okay to partner with um others could definitely die over the next two to three years as this market is very choppy um but generally i think my advice would be proceed with caution and try and uh, go with the, the big regulated players or the big players that have a, a track record. Um, one more question about another piece of Web 3.0, AR and VR. Mm. How does that factor in and, and do you see, where do you see it growing and who's doing things right in that space in the sports industry? So AR off the bat, I think what Artifact are doing is really interesting. So Artifact obviously were purchased by, by Nike at the back end of, of last year and their kind of idea of having like physical assets that are also connected to a digital one through an nfc chip that can then be augmented via your phone i think is really really interesting and it speaks to the very different possibilities of like oh if i'm wearing this nike artifact hoodie and maybe in one fan zone for that day i can augment that to make it look different for that day if that makes sense and again maybe to you and i that might not seem that interesting i certainly don't think i would find that that amazing but maybe my 15 year old younger cousin might do right i'm maybe sound making yeah. myself sound really old i'm sure people my yeah, age actually, <laughs> i'm sure people my age would also like that kind of stuff i think virtual worlds i think the kind of decentralized ones are probably slightly ahead of their time in terms of decentraland sandbox how much longevity and sustainability those platforms have i i'm not a hundred percent sure um but i think what they've done is amazing to create a virtual world that's decentralized and run by the community like i've, I've spoken to a bunch of the decentraland team they're very smart what they've done is amazing um the kind of fortnites and robloxes of this world they're obviously here to say all these kind of like 
virtual games that are essentially virtual worlds um there's going to be more and more of them some of them might be web3 native now how they play into sports is going to be quite interesting as well i think actually from a vr perspective the most interesting thing to watch out for is probably broadcasting over the next seven years like you know i i think the kind of way that reaches the consumer is going to be from rights holder to broadcaster to consumer and now I'm not a broadcasting expert, but there's lots of rumors about how broadcasting evolves and how maybe it goes more direct to consumer from the team or, or league. Um, you know, there's NBA pass and NFL pass and all these kind of things. But primarily, I think where we'll see VR touch this world more is going to be from the broadcasting perspective, being able to allocate another 10,000 virtual seats to make it feel like you're in the stadium. Again, it might sound quite alien now, but again, it feels like the tech will get there if there's demand from a lot of these people. Um, so last question about that, uh, spinning it around. Who is doing, from a fan experience standpoint, whether it's in in the consumer world, whether it's in an arena um, or a stadium, who's doing the best job of implementing initial pieces of Web 3.0 into the fan experience, not the teams? Who's doing it well in the fan experience of anybody? <laughs> I think, ironically, um, FTX actually did something quite good with uh, with Golden State Warriors, where they gave mm -hmm. everyone a free commemorative NFT on the day of the NBA 75th anniversary. Uh, mm -hmm. Whoever was in the stadium could open an FTX account and claim that NFT for free. Now, again, you know, bad actor aside, I think that kind of strategy and idea is pretty interesting. I'm very surprised more sports teams haven't used POAPs, so proof of attendance protocol tokens. You basically scan a QR code and you get like a little token in your app um, that shows you are at an event. So if I go online, I can see that I was at, you know, NFT NYC last year and uh, a bunch of NFT UK meetups and, and some other events as well. Um, I'm surprised that someone's not created like a, a digital fan passport where you can kind of say you've been to all these games and each game has its own you know novel designed token or little thing that is kind of like a sticker collection um mm. i'm sure there's like hundreds of people building this in the back in, <laughs> as we speak right um that are in stealth mode and, and looking to launch but uh yeah so uh, I, I i think those kind of things are interesting and then the, the interesting thing about that is if you take that kind of collection of uh assets that you've collected by just being in stadiums how does that factor into your partnership with adidas does someone who has been to a stadium and can prove that they've got a QR, uh, a po app uh, get five percent off uh newly launched merchandise stuff like that i think is going to be very interesting for the consumer journey in the future and also, uh, last question on this before we get to our final two questions um, with some advice for you, but uh, advice that you can give our listeners. But how, um, what about tying the digital to the, the tangible? How important is that? Now you're starting to see it more and more in esports where you're playing a game, you download a token, and you literally get a customizable something that you can either physically put on a desk or have a keychain or something. Is that important, do you think, as this kind of world of, you know, 45 and older used to having things in our hands versus 30 and younger who may just be happy with a digital piece. I think it is going to be important. I think especially if we think about like streetwear and fashion, mm. I would hazard a guess that 99% of like fashion houses, uh, anyone 
kind of invested or working within the fashion or sportswear industry is thinking about this because that consumer journey slightly changes in the way that you can uh, discover stuff, uh, showcase it online, uh, attach it to someone's digital identity and so on and so forth. Like people want to stunt and flex in real life. It's going to be no different in the kind of digital realm as people become more or more digitally native um I, I think it's super important i think every single like i'll put it this way i do a bunch of kind of um uh advisory stuff within accelerators and in every accelerator cohort i've advised there's been a consultancy a platform or some sort of company trying to help these brands or web2 brands create kind of digital fashion or assets that are tied to physical ones. I think it's going to be a massive market. Great. Um, last two questions for you, Pat. You touch on so many areas. Where do you get your information from? Where do you listen to? Are there podcasts? Are there places you go? <laughs> That's the first. And the second, you know, you're much closer to age to probably most of our listeners. Um, what advice do you give people who are now trying to come into an industry, be it media, finance, sport, entertainment? Sure. So the the first one, like, uh, you know, we were talking off air about this and I hope it doesn't disappear. Twitter's a massive news source for me. Um, and, you know, following the right relevant people who, who cover some of this stuff. I, I think I've also gotten to a point now where I'm sent more stuff than I need to research, which right. is a good place to be in. Like I, I need to do less research now than I did at the start of the newsletter, but I'm constantly getting emails, LinkedIn DMs, Twitter DMs. I'm being added in tweets and LinkedIn posts where people being like, hey, check this out. This would be good for the newsletter, stuff like that, which is cool. So I think that kind of... Uh, circle of a life is, is nearly complete now and, and, and a lot of the audience is doing the work for me um yeah. I, honestly the, the kind of audio content i consume is mostly to do with actual sport um the most value i get is actually speaking to people um and wow. i know that might sound weird but the old school the old school like you know just talking to someone like I was just, you know, I sent a bit of news to a friend of mine who's a lawyer. He was like, oh, thanks so much for sending me this amazing news. Like loads of my clients are going to be interested in this. I I'll let you know my thoughts in like next week or, you know, speaking to, um, you know, I'm sure you won't mind me saying John Cosner, who used to run um, sure. ESPN earlier today. We, we catch up fairly regularly and like being able to speak to someone like that about this world and like what I should do. Really interesting. Being able to speak to people in the industry you know i spoke to someone at a soccer federation today and a soccer team that soccer team was developing their web3 strategy thinking about or asking them what they've learned so far how they're doing things what they think is going to be good what they have learned from that's not so good in the in the industry as well i honestly think yeah speaking to people at events meetups just general calls via email has been the most valuable thing for me and actually why i started the newsletter because i was having so many of these interesting conversations i didn't see myself as an expert and i wanted to learn more and i felt that the best way for me to learn was by by writing it out over and over and now you know if i'm consulting somewhere or i'm at a speaking engagement like this and someone says what's the best example of this or what the worst example of this mm -hmm. and i can point to all this stuff that I've written and just kind of regurgitate it. And it's, it's there, which is great. Cool. And then the advice you give to people. 
honestly i've actually had quite a few people reach out over the last six to nine months being like hey um you know have you got advice on like having a web3 sports role or like a, a media web3 role blah 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 and one of the most interesting interactions i had with someone was um they were like hey we'd love to work with you on on sporting crypto and i was like cool what do you want to do and he was like well right now you're a newsletter and i was like yep and he said you could do this but on every single channel and i was like yeah that's that's probably the plan in the future and he said well i've got some copywriting experience i've got some video editing experience so what i could do is copyright some linkedin posts for you and twitter posts for you you can post them through your twitter account or sporting crypto twitter account and uh, i could also make some videos for you on on youtube and tiktok blah 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 uh, and I was like, oh, that's that's really interesting. But beforehand, he'd kind of positioned this as a, hey, I just want some advice on getting into the industry. And then he like propositioned me. And so I said, okay, I'm going traveling for a week. Why don't you put together a deck on what you do and some examples of what you do. And if it's good, I'll hire you as an intern. And lo and behold, he never did it. Maybe he got a job somewhere else. But I honestly think that like getting into... I guess web three sports, I think on the web three front is don't be intimidated by the subject matter because not everyone is like a technologist or an expert people mm -hmm. working in marketing content, uh, operations, etc. They are people learning on the job for sure. I think in sport, um, and in media, I think showing that you've done stuff is super important. I think from my perspective, when I'm, I've, I've hired people, I've been much more interested in stuff they've done themselves as, as self-starters rather than job experiences. Um, cause I think most people can do most jobs. So I think when you're approaching people, uh, cold, when you're approaching people, even slightly warm, I think two things are super important, like getting to the point because these people are like time poor, but two showing that you can create and generate value is like super important. So, you know, um, I'll give an example. Like when I was first starting Sporting Crypto, or actually even now when I'm, I'm trying to find partners or sponsors for Sporting Crypto, I'm very direct in saying like, hey, uh, I'm reaching out because of X, Y, and Z. These are the two angles I see with your company and Sporting Crypto partnering. Are you interested in talking about it? And it's gotten and generated quite a few results. But I think if you're trying to get jobs or work experiences or an internship, whatever it is, I think you do have to be direct and state your claim from the off. I don't think many of these people are going to give you like 30 minutes, 60 minutes of their time to give you quote unquote advice. They want to know where you're at and whether or not you can add value. And I think at the worst case, these people will give you advice if you try super hard. Uh, and in the best case, they might give you a shot. So like my advice would be like one, do stuff, like do as much stuff as you can. Um, I've done probably as much as most like 35 year old people have done. And I think that's stood me in good stead um, to like persevere a lot and definitely don't take no as like a bad thing. Just keep knocking on doors. And um I, I think three have that kind of like 
humility but also uh, that, that kind of like fine line between humility and confidence being able to like position yourself as someone that will add value but isn't going to be a time drain or someone is such a hard thing to do but it you only do it by by trial and error so th those are the kind of more various ideas but especially in the media side of things if you don't go and do things no, no one's going to hire you good examples uh last question probably the most important question is where do people sign up for the newsletter? Uh, Sportingcrypto.substack.com. Easy enough. So, uh, Pep Barisha, the founder of Sporting Crypto, a futurist. I'll call you a futurist. In this space, we look forward uh, to having you back on before too long to talk about other topics, especially with my partner, Tom Richardson, when he's back. He, he has a, a, you know, an even more advanced POV on these things. But, uh, Thanks for joining us for the past 45 minutes. It's been incredibly helpful and incredibly informative. Um, and we hope to have you back soon. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to coming on next time. Cool. Once again, you've been listening to The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host, Tom Richardson. We will see you down the road.